Welcome to Pink Noise Posse. This is season two of Amplify Your Gold, and I'm your host, Very Sherry. I broadcast conversations with mindset shifters who are showing up in service of elevating our human potential. And if you're diving in with us to this episode, buckle up, because we're going on a ride to uncover the five steps of trigger work. Dr. Susan Campbell's 12th book is out. It got published just after her 80th birthday. She's got 55 years under her belt as a professional psychologist. I couldn't think of anyone better to break down the mystery and the mastery of our nervous system. Welcome back to Pink Noise, Susan Campbell. Thank you, Sherry. And sitting on my desk is your latest book, your 12th published book called From Triggered to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflicts and Heal Childhood Wounds. That's a pretty big subtitle. Promises a lot, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, it says how self-compassion, so we've got to talk about caring for oneself, being Mm -hmm. gentle with oneself, Mm -hmm. and mindful presence, so that's bringing awareness and conscious connection to your behaviors, thoughts, and actions, can transform relationship conflicts and heal childhood wounds. Yeah, and who doesn't have those? Everybody I know. A book for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. But I want to begin by this understanding of your trigger signature. And before we get there, would you just define for my listeners um, how, how you like to talk about what is a trigger? So the word is really the word that we're most interested in. The term is really your trigger reaction. The trigger is some somebody's snarky tone of voice or their look on their face that you might take as critical. So the trigger is out there. I mean, just to be technical about our vocabulary. But most people just say my triggers when they're talking about my trigger reaction, which is my my triggers are that I start yelling or I start making up stories about what the other person means. So trigger reactions are the making up the stories, the going blank when you think you should be saying something smart, the feeling like running out of the room when there's conflict. Those are trigger reactions. And that's what most people are interested in learning to deal with. I was really surprised when I read the definition of the typical three reactions that happen when we get triggered. What I understand so far from reading your work is that our our brain goes into survival mode Mm -hmm. when we tighten up, constrict, and have this reaction. Yes. Maybe we don't understand why we're having it but we're all of a sudden feeling disconnected, distant, a whole bunch of words could go in there as to what we're feeling. But the surprising thing for me was when you described fight, flight, or freeze, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that being defensive was a flight behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Did you explore that with me? Yeah. That's a little hard for people to get sometimes, but flight is, not just running out of the room, 
It's also trying to get the situation to go away, like to talk the other person out of being upset, for example. And that would be explaining, I didn't, I didn't mean for you to get upset. Here's what I really was hoping for and all of that. All of that explaining. When there's a trigger in the space, that is a defensive reaction. It's not really attuned to the situation. If, I mean, there, you might, if you were gonna explain yourself, and somebody else was triggered, you might say, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for that to come across that way. Uh, how, how are you doing? Or something, you'd, you'd, you'd stay connected. But most of us, when somebody misunderstands us and gets upset by something we thought was harmless or helpful even, we'll start saying, um, well, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. You know, again, you know, very lovely phrase. <laughs> we try to explain ourselves. I didn't mean it that way. Here's, here's where I was coming from. And, and, and you begin that. But you're, you're all of a sudden, you're, if you pay attention, your energy is a protection kind of energy. And you're not, um, you're, you're experiencing a disconnect with somebody who's important to you. And that is one of the biggest things that trigger people is some sense of disconnect or, oh my God, they misunderstood me. Oh, what do I do? I have to you know, quickly mend the rift. But it's more important for most of us, if there's a rift, to experience the rift, name the rift. Oh, gee, now we have a disconnect. Let's Let's work on that. And then, you know, the five steps of trigger work are, you know, that are in the book are like, okay, once we know there's a trigger in the space, how do we work on it consciously rather than just those automatic defensive explaining type things? Yeah. It was in reading your definition for flight that I saw myself and could quickly identify that my signature when I'm having a reaction, my dominant signature is flight. Mm -hmm. And I've seen myself in freeze and I've seen myself in fight. So it's happened, but the default, mm -hmm. the one I seem to use the most in past relationships mm -hmm. was the, the flight. And, and it was really helpful to frame it in a way that you did in the book that had me understand that it's the disconnection, it's the resisting and mm -hmm. the kind of pushing away. The thing you said first when we started talking about it was you wanna make it go away. Mm -hmm. And that I just feel that was so where I was coming from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm glad you asked that question, Sherry, because it's, it's tough for people to realize how often we're actually being defensive and how we're coming across defensive to other people too. But I, I think this can help people. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems that, that that's saying it's better to understand than be understood when you're in a conflict to mm. diffuse the conflict. So that also rings true there too. When you're defensive, you're wanting to 
explain yourself, be understood by the other, mm -hmm. but maybe if we could slow down and, and breathe and bring conscious connection tools into play, we might get curious about what's happening for the other person. Yes, and to be able to do all that that you just said quickly and smoothly, sometimes you have to start where you're not so smooth with getting back into connection and being curious about the other. Sometimes your nervous system is so agitated that you actually need a formal pause where you say, you know, I need a minute. Let my, my nervous system's on overload here. I see I'm starting to defend myself. I don't want to do that. And then you take a little break. Maybe you just say, you know, give me a minute. Or maybe you actually have a pause agreement with the people that are close to you, where if anybody gets triggered, they take slow, conscious breaths, or they take a little break from each other if it's a big volatile kind of trigger so that they can give their nervous system a little more time to calm down. But there often are needs for steps toward being able to be more present right in the moment when there's a trigger and handle it in the moment. Sometimes we have to just slow, slow time way down. Then we, then we can get better at it and be more efficient with practice. So the five steps of trigger work, it all begins with admitting and accepting your insecurities. Yeah, that is so hard for so many of us. We blame all our relationship problems on what's wrong with me? How come that relationship didn't work again? It must be me. I, oh, you know, I, I hear that so often with friends and clients and just people I run into. And what that what that's saying is you're not an acceptable human being if you have trigger reactions. And that's extremely unfortunate because most of us do have trigger reactions. So how do we get from not accepting to accepting? And um, well, I basically try to brainwash people <laughs> in the in the first chapter of the book about how everybody's got triggers. Hey, and here's the brain science behind it that says you're perfectly normal. You got the same brain as all of us other humans. And sometimes you don't think you get, here's, this is a big audience too. I'm getting feedback from people who, who are saying, gee, I didn't realize that I get triggered. Uh, I didn't realize it until I re read your book. And I used to think it was a bad thing, but I realized that it's helping me know myself so much better and, and accept myself. So with the intent to accept yourself and some work, witnessing when you're not accepting yourself and doing some of the compassion exercises that I teach, the self-compassion exercises I teach, you can get from self-judgment to self-compassion. And we, we all need some help getting there, I think. But it's an important conscious aim. So um, I, I, I really think it's happening because more and more people in the culture are using the word trigger, I'm triggered, or I got triggered. And that's helping, I think, the acceptance. 
that, hey, it's something that happens to just about everybody. And it seems like the, the key to unraveling what it was that got you activated in the first place is to isolate the behavior of the other mm -hmm. and to connect it to something familiar from your past. Have I, have I got that right? Yes. Yeah. Once you go, oh, that kind of thing triggered me last week and it's triggering me again today and it'll probably trigger me tomorrow. You begin to realize that, okay, I am, I am triggerable and there's a certain pattern to the kind of things that, that trigger me. Gee, they all seem to have to do with being left out or not noticed. You know, you'll begin to get awareness when you notice several different trigger episodes at once. And then you can get kind of interested. Oh, left out, not noticed. Wow. Uh, I'm learning something about myself here. And then as you sit with the experience of a memory of a recent time when you felt not noticed or left out, you'll begin to feel some familiar sensations, maybe some stories that go on in your head, like, boy, they like that person more than they like me or whatever the words that play in your mind are. And what we're doing here is we're developing self-witnessing the capacity to be mindful. And all of a sudden, then you begin to say, this is interesting. You know, this, I'm learning about myself. And oh, here's a memory from when I was 13. And boy, that really used to happen to me then. And now another memory is coming from when I was four. And my, you know, my parents did this for my siblings and and nobody asked me anything, you know, things like that, that aren't horribly traumatic, but for a little one, when our nervous systems are kind of fragile and tender, a lot of things can hurt us and have us feel separate. And we start to build protections, little protective walls. Oh, well, I'm never gonna ask for what I want. I'm never gonna ask for attention, make up little rules to protect ourselves. So. That's the value of all this inner work is you realize that you were once very, very sensitive to certain things. And now you're still sensitive to those things because this inner child part of you, this scared, scared of that type of discomfort part of you hasn't really been loved and gotten to know and integrated into the rest of your being. So the work here is knowing what parts are still sort of off, off in the distant and haven't, haven't really been part of you fully. And so that's what the self-compassion work is. It's saying, come on back into the fold, honey. You know, I've got all these different aspects of myself and you're welcome here. Even if, even if you seem to be what causes me pain a lot of the time, I can, I can admit to you now, I can admit that I do get sensitive about certain things and I can take different actions. Sometimes I take actions to actually protect myself and stay away from certain interpersonal situations. But sometimes I develop practices or I go to 
authentic relating groups and things like that where I can learn to stretch my comfort zone in a safe environment. So you're not, you're not stuck with your sensitivities, but also even if you have your sensitivities, um, they, they don't have to um, limit you as much as you think they do. If, if you can talk about them and feel them and let them be there. What I'm hearing you say is there's so much gold hidden in the mining for the hurts yeah. and, and bringing them in, welcoming them. And in, and in that way, it sounds like this first step of trigger work, there, there's an overlap with parts work or shadow work mm-hmm. and embracing all of you, even the, the gnarly things and the and the stuff about you that maybe you've made wrong in the past, something that you like and enjoy and want, but you think you're not supposed to. That's right. All, all psychological development involves integrating lost parts, denied parts, integrating parts that are in the shadows. I mean, shadow work is what personal development work is. It's all about making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. And that is a very self-empowering thing to do because listeners might go, why, what does it matter? My life's going fine. Why would I want to make the unconscious conscious? Well, you can deal with a whole lot of more reality because you can see it and you can see things coming that you couldn't see coming, or you can see things that should have been handled that you can handle. You just, if you can see more, you have much greater capacity for enjoying life and being creative, which is, I think, what we're here for. Indeed. And we're here to follow the thread of aliveness and choose pleasure over fear. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm finding that that's way more possible when I make the unconscious conscious. And I, and I can look at the decisions I'm making as a choice that I get to make all the time. Yeah. That I am in control of my destiny. Yeah. When you are seek, actively seeking, oh, I behaved in that way, uh, didn't seem to serve me, let me inquire into that, or geez, I've got this contraction when I'm around this person, let me inquire into that. That's what making the unconscious conscious looks like. And when I say inquire, I mean, start with the pausing and self-calming so that you really have a safe space inside yourself in which to do this. Because you're do- this is inner work. This is what inner work looks like. Okay, I'm gonna be with myself. I'm gonna mine and shine the gold within and I'm, I'm gonna mine and shine whatever other minerals are down there too. <laughs> so I'm gonna, oh, what's going on? What do I feel? What do I think? And you hope you just as you're doing this, you're holding a big space that opens up through both attitude, like I am going to be like the good mother archetype, who the baby comes or the little kid comes and cries, no matter what they're crying about, I'm going to say, Oh, honey, tell me more. I want to be with you. I want you to feel safe now. That's what we're doing for ourselves when we do inner work. And then we're just, oh, and what else is there, little one? What else? What else? And that's the way we become more whole. 
I'm feeling so tender as I'm listening to you say those words. Mm. And I think about the self-compassionate inquiry mm -hmm. that is an exercise that you write about in your book. Mm -hmm. And it feels very much like that to me, the example you just gave. Good. Of holding, holding the, the little one um, in you or in another mm -hmm. and being curious. This archetype of mother for yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I know what it feels like to have somebody really love me and accept me. Even if you didn't have that great of a mother yourself, you still have inside yourself the template for what feels good and nourishing and what doesn't. So that means everybody's got the good mother archetype inside of them. That is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Even if you didn't have mm -hmm. a loving mother, mm -hmm. you know what feels good and nourishing for you. Yeah, I mean, I've been counseling people, you know, who've had not too good mothers, you know, many, many, for 55 years, as you know. And I've been so, so heartened, so inspired to see how good these people can be to themselves when they start activating the good mother archetype. Didn't matter if your if your mother drove by the orphanage every day and said, I'm going to put you in there, if, you know, if you don't stop asking for so much. I mean, I've heard stories like this. Um, you know, it makes makes me sad, even though it feels kind of stereotypical, you know, like some therapists would say this, but um, these things really happen to children. And it can be healed. And it can be healed. The magic follow-up words. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could have a whole conversation just about number one. I mean, we are <laughs> admitting and accepting your insecurities. But I do, before the uh, episode is over, want to name the other four. So we already talked about learning your unique trigger signature. And how I identified with flight. So do you contend that there are just those three? Because I think there was a fourth one. Is well, that fawn? Fawn and fold are fight, flight, fawn and fold are five Fs that a lot of trauma therapists name. Uh, fawn is basic. So I think people know what fight, flight, freeze are. Uh, fawn is like ass kissing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you just every you're right you're right even if somebody's abusing you oh you're right like worshiping somebody just to avoid any real contact you know to avoid conflict but also it avoids contact because even contact is scary when there's a trigger and then fold is is basically just giving up and what would you say is the benefit of identifying your default trigger signature? Well, it's important to know the early warning signs that say I'm starting to get triggered. And so the trigger signature exercise goes beyond, is it fight, flight, freeze, fold, fawn, when you get triggered, it's go back to five or 10 or how many ever you can memories of different triggering incidents and do an inventory. What happened to my mind? Oh, my mind says 
I'm not important in that earlier example. My mind says I'm not important or they're ignoring me. What happens in your body? Oh, tight chest. What, what happens in your emotional body? Oh, um, terror or um, wanting, you know, just feel, feeling like I am so not loved that um, this is not safe for me. Some, you know, different little pieces like your, your thoughts, your feelings and your sensations are all good parts of, well, what does fight look like to me? Oh, fight looks like start an argument, uh, feel like punching something in terms of my body sensations and um, emotion is anger. Okay, so that's, that's more helpful than just calling it fight. It's what's the, what's the flavor of fight for you? Somebody else's fight might be something else. Uh, might even be walking out of the room, but in a very aggressive way, like, and I'm never coming back, we're done. You know, that could be somebody's trigger signature to threaten to end the relationship. So, um, but, then but then they come back, you know. So every time you see yourself starting to make up that story, I'm not important. You go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that's my trigger signature. That's what I always filter things through. I filter things through the story that I'm not important. That's knowing your trigger signature. And then when you see that mind chatter starting to happen when you're in an interaction, you pause. You give yourself that pause. You breathe, open up space, and do the compassionate self-inquiry. So that's the steps of trigger work. But trigger signature is very important so that you can stop that runaway freight train, that out of control reaction, that unconsciousness. So you can stop that and not act it out and do something more constructive so that you can come back and repair if you need to and say, hey, when I said that I was triggered, I didn't mean it. You didn't deserve that. Or how, however, I've got several repair scripts. That's kind of like the icing on the cake is the repair so that then that completes it yeah is there any more that you want to say about pausing to regulate yourself before we move on to number four no I think I covered that earlier in holding this you know making a big space breathing that's basically what it means it's doing some breath and grounding practices and I know that in the example that you've already provided, we talked about being with sensations and emotions, which is number four. Yeah. And you talked so eloquently about getting in touch with what are you feeling? Mm -hmm. You know, you went through these, these three parts of ourselves, like what, what's the story? Mm -hmm. What's my mind talking about? Mm -hmm. How am I feeling? Mm -hmm. You know, what am I sensing in my body? Yeah checking and, in with yourself it sounds like such a critical step yeah and sometimes being with oneself is not the place you want to be when you're sensitive and agitated you just you don't want to be there but that is just where you need to be is wait don't run away in some automatic reaction that you used to use to protect yourself, like yelling or running out of the room or accusing somebody. Don't use those old protections. Get into yourself. So getting into yourself, first you pause to create an inner sense of safety. 
And then you allow feelings to come up, but carefully and gently. If you start to get too agitated, you wanna go back to the conscious breath practice again. So there, there are a list of different practices that it's just like as you're reading the book, you're doing the practices. So I've, I've sort of snuck those things in there so the reader can't help but be doing these practices or they'll just skip some pages if they want to. But uh, I've, I've gotten the, the feedback that, you know, people just read and they go, oh, I've just integrated something just through the reading of a book. So we're talking about step four, being with sensations and emotions. And even your thoughts have an emotional content usually. People will say, oh, don't pay attention to your stories. That's just your story. And when, when I'm talking about story now, I mean the, the mind chatter, like I'm not worth anything and so forth. But if you start by noticing the mind chatter, I'm not worth anything, which we call a mental story, there's great value in that in the sense of, oh, there's a feeling tone of self-rejection. There's a feeling tone of sensitivity to being valued. Oh yeah, sensitivity, I'm not valued. Fear that I'm not valued. Oh, and you just, you, you kind of stay with that almost like dysfunctional mind chatter. And you, if, if you stay with the feeling tone of it, you will find something that needs healing and that needs your compassion. And then you can bring your love and your good mother archetype to that experience. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And the fifth step of trigger work, repairing and clearing. Why do you want to do that? Well, people say things when they're triggered that do not come from their true self, from their heart, from, from their care, from their desire for connection. Um, when people are triggered, they're coming from the reptilian part of the brain that often, at least when you're triggered, sees the other person, even though he's, he's my husband or my lover, I see him as foe, not friend at certain times when my nervous system is dysregulated. So I've done things or I've said things that push the other person away. And now I've calmed myself and I've done some self-compassion and I'm more centered and safe. And I go, oh no, I've damaged our bond. And then you wanna go back and say, hey, when I say I wanna repair, that thing that I did when I, when I said, get, get out of here and I don't want to see you again. I want to repair that. I didn't mean that. I was triggered. It was probably my fear of being rejected coming up. What I really wish I could have said was, I'm triggered and I need some help feeling that I'm important to you. You know, you name what the core need is that was under the core fear. And so in the book, I help people identify, okay, what were the core needs that weren't met when you were a little one? Those attachment needs, like the need for, for love and the need 
for co-regulation, like somebody to hold you when you're hurting. And um, those, if those core needs were not met as children, they'll often come out, at least in your intimate relationships, um, to cre create some, some kind of disturbance, like you'll be scanning for not being loved or being rejected or something like that. And so you admit that to your partner, you educate your partner about what your insecurities are. You say, you know, that was my old fear of being rejected coming up. And I, now I'm admitting that to you. And I'm, I'm admitting that I often need help feeling loved and wanted. And by saying that, you're kind of affirming that it's okay to have those core needs, even though they weren't met a lot of times when you were little you can still get them met now. And one, one way to start to get them met is to admit them over and over to your partner because your partner is not a mind reader. And they take, especially where trigger reactions are concerned, they may take a while for them to remember, oh, Susan has a fear of rejection. And when she's acting that out, it looks like this. Your partner's not gonna remember all that kind of stuff until you've done these repairs over and over, saying basically the same words almost every time, because it's gonna be one or two favorite triggers, your trigger signature, it's gonna be one or two of those happening over and over in different situations. Because life wants us to get this self, <laughs> this stuff. Life wants us to get onto ourselves. And it's fun to get onto yourself and know what your patterns are and not be controlled by them. Two things strike me about what you just said. Number one, the courage, mm -hmm. the courage and vulnerability to ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that happened for me is when I heard you ask for what you need in that example mm -hmm. and own your experience mm -hmm. of this is a place where I can feel hurt mm -hmm. because of my childhood wound compassion just came flooding into my system and i wanted to be there for you in a way that ser serves and supports you and it no longer matters what's going on for me anymore mm -hmm. when i hear you speak with courage and vulnerability i want to show up in service of you and yeah. all my yeah. compassion is online and most people really are like you, Sherry, when they feel safe and showing up that vulnerable and it, I need your help to feel wanted. Um, you know, that's pretty vulnerable to say, even now for me on a call like this. Um, it just melts, like you said, it melts the partner's heart and they, they totally don't feel blamed. You know, what they were feeling earlier probably was unsafe, partly thinking, well, I did something wrong. Susan's unhappy with me. And the repair erases your partner's fears and helps them feel safe enough to offer you the love that's in their heart. Hmm. I don't want this conversation to end, but I know it must. <laughs> it's always such a treat talking to you. Thank you for being a part of this Pink Noise program. Well, you're doing wonderful work with these programs, Sherry. So. Thank you for having me as part of your posse. <laughs> Honor. Thank you.
All my extra minutes are gone. I'm not going to linger to reflect on this experience. I thought it was far more important to keep these five steps together and not split up this conversation. I'd love to hear what resonated for you. Leave me a comment or email sherry at pinknoiseposse.com. Next week, I dive in with my favorite local hypnotherapist, Caridwin Deller. Until then, keep mining and shining the gold within.